thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Michael Hatton in Parashat Re'eh. This episode is sponsored by Rivka and Seth Weisberg in honor of our teacher and friend David Richman, who led us to Pardes. And now, here is Rabbi Michael Hatton. Parshat Re'eh, Consuming Meat. Parshat Re'eh begins with additional mitzvot to be fulfilled when the people of Israel enter the land. Moshe instructs them that the blessings and the curses are to be proclaimed as they assemble according to tribe in the valley between Mount Gerizim and Mount Eval after their arrival in the land. And it will be there that the war against idolatry and immorality is to be formally initiated. Moshe goes on to warn the people once again not to succumb to the attractions of polytheism, but rather to wipe out any traces of it so that the true God can be served faithfully. He reinforces his command with a series of extreme pronouncements directed against the false prophet, chapter 13, verses 2 to 6, the inciter, chapter 13, 7 through 12, and the city led astray to worship idols, chapter 13, verses 13 to 19. In all three cases, the elements responsible for the idolatrous worship are to be destroyed and the message will be forcefully driven home that idol worship cannot be tolerated. In glaring contrast to the service of the idols that takes place on the high mountains and the hills and under every leafy tree, the worship of the God of Israel is to be confined to one central temple whose location God will choose. This is in consonance with the revolutionary idea of a single absolute deity. So too, there is to be a single unequivocal sanctuary where that God is to be served. There you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your donations, your vows and freewill offerings, the firstborn of your cattle and sheep. Chapter 12, verse 6. No local sacrificial shrines are to be erected to God's service. Although prayer is effective at every location, sacrifice is a sacrilege when it is practiced outside of the temple's precincts. The compelling idea of a single center of worship was not implausible as long as the people wandered through the wilderness accompanied by the Mishkan, God's portable sanctuary. During the wilderness wanderings, the Mishkan or the tabernacle was the focal point of the Israelite camp, and the arrangement of the tribes around it was a direct statement of its paramount significance. The absolute decree to offer sacrifice only at the tabernacle was not at all at odds with the limited confines of the Israelite camp, and it was actually supported by it. It was never an inconvenience 
to make the trek to the tabernacle's precincts in order to offer sacrifice. According to one Talmudic view, that of Rabbi Ishmael in Tractate Chulin 16b, as long as the people of Israel journeyed through the Midbar, not only was any sacrifice outlawed outside of the tabernacle, but any consumption of meat was forbidden. The verses in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, are instructive in this, in this situation. God spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to Aharon and his children, and to the entire people of Israel, and say to them, If any man from the house of Israel slaughters an ox, sheep, or goat, whether inside the camp or outside of it, but he neglects to bring it to the opening of the tent of meeting as a sacrifice to God, that man shall be regarded as one who spills blood, and he shall be cut off from among his people. This is in order that Bnei Israel shall instead bring their animals that they slaughter in the fields to the opening of the tent of meeting to the Kohen, to offer them as peace offerings to God. The people shall no longer offer their animals to the satyrs after whom they stray. This shall be an eternal decree for all generations. If any man from among the people of Israel or a convert that dwells among them presents a burnt offering or sacrifice but neglects to bring it to the opening of the tent of meeting for the sake of God, that man shall be cut off from his people. If any man from the people of Israel or a convert that dwells among them shall consume any blood, I shall direct my gaze towards the soul that has consumed the blood and cut it off from among its people. This passage speaks of three discrete issues. First of all, all those interested in the consumption of meat must bring their animal as a peace offering to the Mishkan, and only then may they eat the meat in the context of a sacrificial meal. This was designed as a, present, as a preventative measure to discourage the people from averting back to their idolatrous ways, and therefore they had to bring all their animals, even those that they simply wanted to eat for meat, as sacrifices to God. The second matter in the passage is a prohibition of presenting any animals as sacrifices outside of the tabernacle. A person may desire to sincerely offer a sacrifice to God, but that worship may only take place at the tabernacle and nowhere else, whether inside of the Israelite camp or outside of it. Finally, the passage introduces a prohibition concerning the consumption of blood and the severe consequences for those that abrogate it. These provisions were not overly difficult as long as the people were in the wilderness and the Mishkan was in close proximity to anyone in the camp. For a period of close to 40 years, long enough to inculcate proper conduct and to remove idolatrous tendencies, no meat was consumed by the people at all, except as sacrifices prepared by the Kohanim. 
the control that a single center of worship allowed for ensured that slowly but surely idol worship was removed from the people's spiritual vocabulary. But now they were poised to enter the land, and soon the people would experience a new reality in which most of the population would establish their dwelling far away from the single center of worship. How would the vast majority of the citizens of ancient Israel fulfill their sacrificial obligations? How would they simply enjoy the consumption of meat? It is in our Parsha of Re'eh that this matter is addressed as the reality of distance from the temple or the central shrine begins to loom large and become real. The text reports in our Parsha in chapter 12, verses 20 through 28. When God expands your borders, as he stated, and you shall say, I want to eat meat, if your soul desires to consume meat, then you shall eat meat according to your heart's desire. When the place that God shall choose shall be far from you, you shall slaughter as I have commanded from your cattle or flocks that God has given you, and you shall consume it within your own gates according to your heart's desire. Be careful, however, not to consume the blood, for the blood is the soul. Do not eat the soul with the flesh. Your holy sacrifices and obligations, however, must be brought to the place that God will choose. Observe and pay attention to all these things that I command you, in order that it shall be good for you and your children that follow you forever, when you do that which is good and upright in the eyes of God your Lord. This passage is very reminiscent of the earlier one from the book of Vayikra. And once again, the same three intertwined issues are addressed. Number one, the consumption of ordinary meat. Number two, the presentation of sacrifices. And number three, the prohibition of the blood. However, in our passage, one of the three matters is dealt with differently. Sacrificial animals must still be brought to the central sanctuary. Blood in all of its forms is still prohibited. But now, from this point forwards, ordinary animals can be consumed everywhere for those that are interested in eating meat. The Ramban, in addressing the passage in Vayikra, has the following to say. The correct interpretation of the passage is in accordance with what our sages explained. The text outlaws the consumption of meat as long as the people of Israel were in the wilderness. They were not to eat it, except as a peace offering sacrificed upon God's altar. Therefore, the verses state that anyone who desires to slaughter one of the three types of animals acceptable as sacrifices namely cattle, sheep, and goats, must bring them to the opening of the tent of meeting as peace offerings. The blood and the fat must be offered on the altar of God, and only then 
may the meat be consumed. Slaughtering animals anywhere else incurred the penalty of excision. Therefore, all animals, ordinary or sacrificial, were only to be slaughtered at the precincts of the tabernacle. Addressing himself to our passage in Parshat Re'eh, the Ramban continues, In the Mishneh Torah, that is the book of Devarim, the verses state that when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land, then you shall present your burnt offerings and peace offerings at the place that God will choose. Thus explains the Ramban, the prohibition concerning offering sacrifice outside of the temple remains in place. But from this point forwards, the slaughter of ordinary animals is permitted everywhere. The rationale is clear, as it states in the verse, when God expands your borders. After the expansion of the borders, it would no longer be possible for Israelites to make their way to the precincts of the temple whenever they wanted to consume meat, and therefore they are permitted to consume meat according to their heart's desire by slaughtering it within their gates. Commentary to Vayikra, chapter 17. The Ramban completes the picture with his comments on our passage. The text addresses the entire people of Israel, says the Ramban, and it states that when God expands their borders so that most of them no longer dwell in proximity to the tabernacle, as they currently do well in the wilderness, then ordinary meat will be permitted to them when it is slaughtered properly. It is not reasonable to expect the people to journey from distant places to the sanctuary every time they desire to consume meat, such that they offer it in the form of a sacrifice. The consumption of ordinary meat is here discussed and cast and recast in the mold of the eradication of idolatry on the one hand and proximity to the tabernacle on the other. But there are important general implications as well. The initial provisions of the Torah were meant to ensure that the people would abandon idolatrous sacrifice and begin to embrace the concept of a single, all-powerful God aware of their individual lives and concerned with their welfare. An important byproduct of the exercise, though, was the nurturing of self-discipline with respect to the consumption of meat. Animals were not to be cavalierly slaughtered and consumed, but there was effort to be expended in their preparation. They had, to feed, they had to be first presented to the Kohanim, sacrificed accordingly, and only then consumed with all of the rigors associated with sacrificial meat. In other words, even in the time of the Mishkan, eating meat was treated as a special experience requiring special preparations. After the people entered the land and ordinary meat consumption was permitted within their gates, 
the original association with idolatry was forgotten. It was no longer relevant. However, the notion of self-discipline, of eating meat as a function of special preparations, was preserved by the sages of the Talmud in a most unusual and original manner. Commenting on the desire, quote-unquote, that the Torah associates with the consumption of meat, the sages remark in Tractate Chulin 84a, the Torah here teaches a rule of conduct that a person should not eat meat unless he has a special appetite for it. The Talmudic passage goes on to modify this principle of the sages, to interpret it in economic terms, but the element of self-discipline that constitutes its starting point was not entirely forgotten. The section concludes, and Maimonides rules as much in his Mishneh Torah, Hilchoteot, chapter 5, paragraph 10, that the average person should content themselves with consuming meat from one Sabbath Eve to the next. In other words, eating meat is now put in line with other Torah legislation that seeks to place a qualification upon behavior, to limit selfishness, to prohibit injurious activities, to sanctify the mundane ones and elevate them. Limiting our meat consumption has positive consequences for the consumer as well as for the consumed. In our modern age, meat consumption has reached epidemic proportions in developed countries. Modern methods of animal production and processing have put the possibility of a steady meat diet within the reach of every person. But it continues to nurture an insatiable desire for animal protein that spirals ever higher out of control. As a society, we have lost sight of the moral discomfort that ought to be associated with the consumption of other creatures. The freeze-wrapped, sterile, tastefully packaged cut of meat that graces supermarket shelves today in ever-increasing quantities bears no resemblance to the animal or bird that was killed so that we might eat it. While it is the case that the Torah permits the consumption of other creatures, we would do well to bear in mind that such permission is not granted with impunity. Humane slaughter must be performed, all the blood must be removed, and meat and milk must not be mixed. However, the additional element of self-discipline that was the original foundation of the entire experience must be preserved if we are to succeed in living sensitive lives that are close to God. Perhaps the early associations of unrestricted meat consumption and idolatry 
are not as archaic as one might imagine. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast today. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem or by visiting elmod.pardes.org. Tune in next week as Rabbi Alex Israel discusses Parashat Shoftim. Thanks for listening.